KJZZ's Fronteras Desk, welcome to the debut episode of Crossing the Line, a podcast that explores the national, cultural, and political boundaries of the Southwest. I'm Jimmy Jenkins. Our reporter, Monica Ortiz Uribe, has crisscrossed the border between the United States and Mexico her entire life. She's spent eight years reporting in Ciudad Juarez just across the border from her hometown of El Paso. Juarez is a city that's endured incredible hardship as a gateway to the world's biggest consumer of illegal drugs. It's currently undergoing a revival, but the chance of more violence is always simmering beneath the surface. The story we're about to hear is about a common crime in Juarez, one that historically remains unsolved. Ciudad Juarez has a sinister reputation as the place where young women disappear without a trace. That is, until their mutilated bodies, or more recently, their bone fragments, turn up in the desert. It's been happening for more than two decades to hundreds of women. No one can say for sure who is killing them. The police's inability, some would say unwillingness, to solve these crimes has given way to a well-documented history of blaming scapegoats. This brings us to the story of Victor Chavira, a 79-year-old diabetic who died in prison after being accused in the abduction and murder of a teenaged girl who vanished in 2010. Let me start by telling you a bit about Victor Chavira. Victor was a self-made man who built a family business around cowboy clothes. What you hear is a steam-powered machine at his small hat-making factory in Juarez. He started it after years of working as a traveling salesman. Later, he opened up several stores in Juarez that sell hats, boots, and belts. He was good at heart, great person, very smart. That's Eddie Chavira, the youngest of Victor's nine siblings. All of them are U.S. citizens who left Mexico long ago. Eddie grew up in El Paso, just across the border from Juarez. As a kid, he'd go work at his brother's factory every weekend. Victor, he's like my second father. He was always giving me advice, you know, be good in life, do good, do good, uh, make goals, and go for those goals. Eddie sometimes refers to Victor as his dad and forgets to correct himself. He got emotional during our interview at the hat factory because it was the first time he'd been there in years. Like many other El Pasoans, he stopped going to Juarez when it erupted in drug violence seven years ago. But he would still see Victor every now and then. Uh, the last time I saw him was uh, two weeks prior to him uh, getting arrested. The police came for Victor Chavira in June of 2013. According to his son, Alberto, who was there, they broke through the front gate of his home at 3 a.m. holding rifles and wearing ski masks. This brings us to the crime. It also brings us to the missing women. In 2010, Ciudad Juarez was the epicenter of a vicious drug war. Two cartels were fighting for control of its lucrative smuggling routes into the U.S. I was there. It was scary. The military and the federal police rode around in trucks loaded with automatic weapons. The city averaged eight murders a day. People hid in their homes and barricaded their neighborhoods with iron fences or boulders. Amid all this chaos, young women began to disappear from the streets of downtown Juarez. At first, no one really noticed except their families. One of the missing girls was Jessica Leticia Peña Garcia. Do you know what happened to her? I don't know what happened. I don't know. Jesus Peña is Jessica's father. I found him at home in Juarez. He's a construction worker and has a job at a grocery store. It's hard. 
really are. Jesus showed me the missing persons flyer with Jessica's picture. She's got bangs sweeping over high cheekbones and a sweet smile. She loved to sing, swim, and eat pizza. The day Jessica disappeared, she left her dad's house in the morning and went to look for a job downtown. Like most of the missing women, Jessica came from a poor family and needed to work to pay for school and daily necessities. When my dad go, I waited for her always. Never coming back. <laughs> Jessica's bones were found more than a year later, scattered in a dry arroyo by a rancher on his horse. She's dead. My dad is dead. You know. <laughs> the bones of at least 15 other missing women were also found in the same spot. By then, the families of these girls had mobilized. They staged frequent protests outside the district attorney's office. But police were absolutely swamped because of the ongoing drug war. A handful of mothers did their own investigations. They suspected their daughters had been kidnapped by sex traffickers. They hunted down witnesses and snuck into hotels that doubled as brothels. It wasn't until later that they began to collaborate with police. And that brings us back to Victor Chavira's arrest, three years after Jessica's disappearance. One of the last places she was seen was at Victor's downtown store, dropping off a job application. There's a video. It came from the security cameras of my brother's store. That's Eddie Chavira again. He's talking about a surveillance video that shows Jessica in the store. You can clearly see it. The girl walks in, she gets interviewed by, by my niece. So she was there for approximately 20, 25 minutes. And then she leaves the store. Jessica had told her dad that she was going to apply at Victor's store. It's a well-established business in downtown Juarez. It was one of the first places where her family went to look for clues after she disappeared. The Chavira family voluntarily shared the video with Jessica's family and the cops. They went in for questioning with the police, but were never under the impression that their dad was a suspect. Not until his arrest. <laughs> In court hearings, shortly after Victor's arrest, the government's star witness testified against him. The witness's voice was distorted to protect his identity. He was a teenage gangster who claimed downtown Juarez was his turf. The witness claimed Victor Chavira was turning over girls to the gang to avoid paying them an extortion fee on his business. He claimed the deal required the store to put up signs soliciting female employees. Victor's son, Alberto, also testified in court and disputed the witness's account. This is a cut of video from Alberto Chavira's testimony in court. He gives a detailed account about how his father's business was paying extortion and how police knew about it. In fact, the family cooperated with the police in an undercover investigation that resulted in the arrest of two extortioners during the same time that women were disappearing. Alberto gave me copies of the police report, proving the Chaviras were indeed being extorted. 
Now, allow me to share a little aside with you about extortion. I found it fascinating. So organized crime imposes a fee on businesses in exchange for a so-called protection. You're basically paying them to leave you alone. The rates vary. Alberto told me they paid around $500 a month. Businesses who couldn't pay shut down. Those who refused to pay risked arson or death. Vengo por la renta. I'm here for the rent. That's code for give us the money, according to Alberto. If he was reluctant, the extortioner might reveal a weapon under his or her jacket. A lot of times, Alberto says they were women because police find them less suspicious. If they felt like going out for fun to a bar or a strip club, Alberto says they'd go ask him for money. One time, he says, an extortioner got killed by the cops and his buddies went to the businesses and demanded money to pay for his funeral. <laughs> that was Juarez during the drug war. Okay, back to the story. So, the main evidence prosecutors had against Victor Chavira was the teen gangster's testimony and the surveillance video. Only, when they showed the video in court, the prosecution didn't show the part where Jessica leaves the store. And there were inconsistencies with the gangster's story. I looked through his written testimony myself. In one version, he says nothing about Victor. Instead, he says it was Jessica's aunt, a cigarette vendor downtown, who turned Jessica over to the gang. He also names the guys who supposedly kidnapped her. Defense attorneys later proved that one of those guys was in jail at the time of Jessica's disappearance. In the end, a judge decided to formally indict Victor and five other men for sex trafficking and murder. Mexican law required they stay in jail until their trial, which wouldn't happen for two more years. But Victor never made it to trial. He was so frail with diabetes, he died in custody seven months after his arrest. Alberto Chavira recalls the first time he saw his dad after his arrest. It was at a court hearing. The judge was asking if my dad understood the charges he faced, Alberto says. At first, the judge couldn't hear Victor's answer because his voice was so soft. Then someone moved a microphone closer to his lips. Victor told the judge he hadn't eaten in two days. For someone with advanced diabetes, that's very dangerous, Alberto says. This moment marked the beginning of the end for his father. The judge denied the Chavira family's constant request to grant Victor house arrest. Alberto says their defense attorney told him if they continued to insist, the authorities threatened to move Victor to a prison four hours away. The family's petitions to the State Human Rights Commission went nowhere. Eddie Chavira says they felt helpless and angry. Because how can a system be so corrupt that, that they put in jail their own citizens for no reason, just to fulfill their, their, uh, that's what people say that they're doing their jobs. So let's step back a moment. Was the system right to accuse Victor Chavira in the abduction and murder of Jessica? Was he a scapegoat? 
As a reporter tasked with verifying the facts and presenting all sides fairly, I have serious doubts about his guilt. Prosecutors wouldn't talk to me about this case. There are no unbiased legal experts who've studied it. There was a court advocate who investigated Jessica's case with the prosecution, but almost every time I tried to meet her, she's busy. Beyond that, there's only other reporters who confided that they, too, shared my doubts. I did, however, speak to Gustavo de la Rosa Hickerson, a well-known human rights attorney who the Chavira family hired to review Victor's case. He's also an expert in the history of women's murders in Juarez. Gustavo believes Victor's case follows a well-documented pattern of scapegoats whom authorities have accused in the past. He can list the scapegoats going back two decades, all accused of murdering women. Among them are an Egyptian man, a couple of bus drivers, and an American woman who lived in Mexico with her husband. Their cases involved false evidence planted at a crime scene and even the murder of a defense attorney. Some of the scapegoats were later acquitted. Pero nunca se llegó con plenitud a encontrar the problem, Gustavo says, is that the police never find the true killers of the women. Jessica was part of an investigation involving the murder of 10 other women. Victor was among six men arrested as a result of that investigation. But prosecutors never argued those men were the actual killers. Instead, they argued the men were part of a sex trafficking ring who kidnapped the girls. Because those men supposedly knew that the women would end up dead, prosecutors also charged them with murder. After a three-month trial last year, a panel of judges agreed and convicted five of the six men. When there's no investigation that points to the true killers of these women, Gustavo says, it only perpetuates impunity. I asked Jessica's dad what he thought of Victor Chavira's arrest. He told me he thought Victor was guilty. He also told me that he was unsatisfied with the police's investigation, that he believes the killers are still out there because young women like his daughter continue to go missing. As for the Chavira family, they're heartbroken over their father's death. Three years later, Alberto Chavira says they're still trying to restore his father's reputation. Our father gave us so much love, he says, and in the end... We couldn't be there to say goodbye. Our reporter was Monica Ortiz Uribe, who also produced this story. I'm Jimmy Jenkins. Monica featured Victor Chavira's story in a four-part series called Courting Justice in Mexico, which looks at Mexico's recent judicial reform. If you have a story that you want told, get in touch with us at reporters at fronterasdesk.org. If you enjoy our Crossing the Line podcast, tell your friends and share a link through kjzz.org or use our mobile app.